Blog Talk Radio. Yep, yep, yep. It's your boy, Heavy Handed Jay. I'm back, man. Finally, you know, the uh, relatively fat and black podcast crew, you know, we've been out for a minute, but I'm back with the Heavy Handed Edition. You know, the Heavy Handed Edition is when it's just your boy riding solo without my man, Eugene, and I'm talking sports, man, and it is basically whatever it is that interests me. I'm a dude who likes all the sports, you know got into Tiger Woods over the weekend. So I like everything. You know, this weekend we had Tiger make a push at winning his first PGA tournament in about a decade now. And it's it's interesting that we all still get up for Tiger. I, I, I argue that there's no one athlete in any particular sport that garners so much interest whether he's involved or if he's not involved. That sport pretty much rides and dies on whether Tiger's involved or not. But, um, yeah, I I was in it for that. So that's the kind of sports fan I am. I'm generally, you know, I'm the three major sports, you know, the three majors, and I got one of the niche sports being boxing. I got the three majors being baseball, football, basketball, and my one niche, fave boxing. And uh, speaking of some boxing, man, that's what I'm going to lead off with today. Now, you know, Mikey Garcia has been in the news a lot here recently, coming off a a decent win over Robert Easter Jr. Uh, I I haven't broken that fight down here on the heavy-handed edition, but, you know, for me personally, I'd say a solid victory. I feel like Robert Easter, we we come to the conclusion that Robert Easter's best attributes are God-given, meaning his just height and length. After you get past his height and length, there's not a lot in the toolbox. There's just not. There's, you know, we have a jab. You could teach someone that is okay. He did it for about two rounds. I think I had him up 2-0. And then it just disappeared as I predicted. You know, he'll you know, he just doesn't stick to a game plan. Once you get past all the height and the, and the range, there's just not much there. And uh, Mikey Garcia did as expected. Uh, I thought Mikey could potentially get rid of him. What I realized in that fight is that Mikey doesn't have enough in the toolbox to get rid of a Robert Easter Jr. or Adrian Broner for that matter. He can't. He doesn't have enough tricks to make a guy open up. Even if a guy is fighting just to survive, which Adrian Broner and Robert Easter both were, but it was clear to see that Mikey Garcia just didn't have enough in his toolbox to get him to open up. You know, he's rather basic. Uh, and in the win, I actually my my feel for Garcia, how I um, what level I put him on. I, I I mean, I guess I give him a B for the fight. I actually took away from Garcia in the in a pretty sound victory. I know that sounds weird, but really, I, I, I said, okay, this guy's a basically a one-two puncher. He doesn't have a whole lot of tricks in the bag. 
uh, we've seen Robert Easter able to come out and win the first two rounds uh, on most cards. But wasn't overly impressed with Mikey Garcia. However, point of this, <clears throat> after that fight, a lot of talks about Errol Spence. A lot of talk, Mikey wants to go up and test himself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why? Why was the resounding question in my, in my, in my mind? Like, why? Now, we hear reports of Robert Garcia as well as the grandfather are advising Mikey Garcia not to take the Spence fight. As well as most all of the boxing public of the boxing world is like, this doesn't seem to really be a winnable fight. Now, there's a sentiment out there that says Mikey Garcia sees something in Errol Spence that he feels he could capitalize on. Possibly. But for those who are of us in the boxing world who consider ourselves somewhat educated in the understanding of just how tactically things match up and, you know, just kind of the science of a matchup, this one just doesn't seem to be very many boxes where you check Mikey Garcia's side of the box. I mean, if we're going down that checklist and what you want to put maybe the five criteria of winning around, what is it? Defense, ring generalship, aggressive punching, aggression, effective punching, whatever it is, whatever criteria you want to check, whether it be speed, strength, um, footwork, you could argue that Errol checks every single box that you'd consider a characteristic or attribute for a fighter to win a fight. You know, if we're uh, already the bigger man, you know, just the bigger man. Mikey, another thing I noticed about Mikey in the Easter fight, and I'm always looking for when I see Mikey because I'm not sure of Mikey's good weight. But one thing's for sure, Mikey Garcia is not cut at, you know, the 135-pound division. He's not cut. He was loose around the sides, you know. And you're going up, you're going to go up two weight classes and fight a guy like Errol Spence, who's ripped at his division and likely walks around to the 170, somewhere in the 170 to 180 range, quite possibly, out of training. And who's been fighting in this range and fighting bigger men and far more acclimated for the type of pounding it's going to take. It's just, doesn't. there's no sound reasoning, right, is what I'm getting to. None whatsoever. None. If I'm Al Heyman, who both, I advise both these fighters. Sure, if I'm Errol Spence, and you know, and Errol's pretty much projected the exact sentiment I would like. <laughs> hey, man, well, sure, you know, look, I don't want to fight this guy. He's not on my radar. I don't think it'll be comparative, competitive, and this is Errol's sentiment. I don't think it'll be competitive. I really have never been looking at this guy. He's never come across my radar. I've never thought it was a potential. But, uh, yeah, if you want to throw 5 to $10 million in my pocket, sure, why not? Yeah, I'm here for it. Absolutely. If I'm Errol, I'm acting just like Errol's acting. He's just laughing and his hands are up. And he's like, well, Kanye shrugs. Sure, fuck it. Yeah, let's do it. Sure. But if you're Mikey Garcia other than this narrative of him fighting for this glory and wanting to go after the boogeyman that nobody wants to fight, all that gladiator talk, which we all know. Come on, man. Mikey Garcia is a very smart, calculated individual. 
He showed that throughout the entirety of his career, time after time, taking breaks, uh, pursuing uh, other professions, whether it be law enforcement, whatever it be. Mikey Garcia is clearly an educated, calculated individual. <clears throat> so I don't buy for a second that Mikey's going out there with this guts and glory thing. Fuck it. I have no more to do here. Let me just go for the beast. No, Mikey Garcia, there's plenty of money for you to still make. And let me tell you, you know, here's, here's, let, let me get, let me get to down to some of the meat of this shit, because, you know, I, I, I could talk about painting the house all the time. Let, let's get on the interior here. <clears throat> but all that said, all I'm trying to paint the picture of is why, and especially if you're Al Heyman and you advise both these fighters. Because this is separate money that can be made here. It doesn't have to be one money. You know, it's not like you got a guy on the tail end of his career. You got both these guys entering or in the prime of their career and their stardom, or at least entering. Being Errol Spence, Mikey Garcia is probably going to enter his stardom. You know, Errol Spence is still on the cusp of it. But um, why, why, why? If you're anyone who advises Mikey Garcia, when all the attributes and characteristics are checked on the side of Errol Spence, why do it? Okay, let me tell you how I came to this conclusion that this was the eventuality that we'd somehow get to an Errol Spence-Canelo fight through the Mikey Garcia. Okay, you're Al Heyman, right? You You got Errol Spence here. Now, you know you got a fighter that has that people have, everyone has tons of interest in. However, interest doesn't always garner pay-per-view. You know, the problem with Errol Spence is that he's just lukewarm. Lukewarm in the sense of, yeah, I like that guy. He's a great fighter. I like to watch him fight. But he's not garnering emotion. You understand? See, emotion is what gets pay-per-view buys and gets butts in the seats. It's not like a a kind of lukewarm liking for a person. It's emotion that gets you up. So our recent our recent uh pay-per-view king Floyd, Floyd Mayweather, he had he was a guy who had it the best, who broke all the records simply being because he was a polar fighter. Polar meaning you either hated or loved him. And like Mayweather said, the people who love me pay and the people who hate me pay just the same. There's no in-between with them. There's no lukewarm. There was either hot or cold, and that's what you want. I mean, if you can't have all the love, you got to get all the hate, or you got to get them, or get them both. But you need one or the other. You don't need a whole bunch of people in there being like, yeah, he's a great guy. I love to watch his fights. No. You need to, when people like you, you need them to be fucking willing to drive five hours to see you. And when people hate them, you need them to be willing to drive five hours to see you. And Errol Spence just kind of with this old country boy, oh, yeah, I'm just, I want my straps and, you know, and nobody hates them, but nobody loves them either. Lots of people like him. That's a difference. There's a difference, guys. It's huge. Okay? And so he finds himself in that thing. Now, however, here, here's an here's a added nuance. Errol Spence, unlike a lot of black fighters, 
has a lot of favor and the biggest demographic uh, as far as buyer and uh, uh, fan viewership, the Mexican demographic. Ask any of my Mexican friends or if you're a Mexican dude out there listening, you probably like Errol Spence. You don't love him. You're not like, hey, let me go get a pay-per-view of Errol's fighting. But you'll watch it if he's fighting for sure. But you don't love him. You know, and you definitely don't hate him. So uh, we, we, we need something out of you, you know. So here's, 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 here's how they broke it down, if you ask me. Mikey Garcia is in the same uh, club, I'd say, as Amir Khan and Kell Brook, where they, it's a fight in the bag forever, i.e. Pacquiao Mayweather, just a fight in the bag forever. Mikey Garcia's fight in the bag that he could always come back to no matter what happens is Lomachenko. That's in the bag. He doesn't have to make that now. Just like Kell Brook and Amir Khan, they're still not taking that money. You know why? Because it's in the bag in Sheffield. No matter what happens to either, they can both get knocked out again. That money with that fight in Sheffield is in the bag. It's a retirement plan. They don't have to do that to it at the end of the road, the very end. Okay? And for Mikey Garcia and, and Vasil Lomachenko, that is money in the bag. They can always go. They're going to always be around the same weight where they could just go ahead and make a, uh, a catch weight if Mikey gets too big. But they'll always be around, right around that weight. So that's money in the bag. So we can we could go do other things. That that gives us some some flexibility as far as our our near future prospect. Okay. Now now what else is there? Well, where else can we get a pay per view? If Mikey's teetering around a, a one forty seven range, what else can we do? So now we're going to bring Kell Brook back into the game again. <clears throat> Similarly seen in other fights here recently where you have a fighter going up in weight and you're you're looking at him like, okay, he's going to take punishment. That flag, that towel comes in really quick as soon as things start to get blurry. I take it uh, Amir Khan when fighting Canelo Alvarez, his team probably said, hey, as soon as it starts to get uh, bad for you out there, we're going to throw in the towel. Didn't get the chance. But Kell Brook, as soon as things started to get bad versus Gennady Golovkin, they threw that towel in. Now, Garcia Spence, same rules apply. Mikey can go up here for a guts and glory fight. Okay? And farewell for some time in that fight. Here's Mexican fan sentiment. All my Mexican buddies say, hey, you can get knocked out. As long as you go out on your shield, you lose nothing amongst uh, amongst us as fans. Long as you go out swinging. Now, if you go out like a little bitch, for lack of better words, then you lose credit. But if you go out on your shield, there's nothing to be ashamed of. For Mikey Garcia, he'd be going up against incredible odds. This is almost David versus Goliath to some degree. And if Mikey goes in there, stays in long enough, lands some good shots, gets everybody out their seats. Then Arrow finally corrals him and goes to the body really good and has him in deep trouble and 
Mikey kind of gets out of it, and it's you can tell the inevitable end is soon to come. Here comes the towel. We're in the seventh, eighth round. It's all good. Mikey comes out. He says, hey, guys, I just wanted to, to give it a try. You know, I, I wanted to do it for the people. Nobody thought I could do it, and I went for it. Everybody goes crazy. Fights at Staples Center. Money's still in the bank. Does Mikey lose a lot there? He's David versus Goliath. You ask me, he doesn't. Then he still has all the other fights there. Ah, oh, we don't take anything. He, he, you know, he fought Errol Spence, the, the, you know, two divisions up. Cache remains the same. Now, for Errol, you finally get the eyeballs of all the Mexican fans. You know, Errol uh, wins gracefully. They love, you know, for you to win gracefully. Errol comes out there with his type of uh, graceful. You know, I appreciate Mikey Garcia. Uh, I appreciate all the Mexican fans coming out tonight. Y'all great fans. Uh, you know, I just look forward to whoever's up. So, uh, I appreciate everybody, and thank you for having me. And, oh, man, round of applause, round of applause. Errol just got himself uh, two to three million new fans. Now, here we go. Here was my prediction. You get Errol taking out the kind of the people's champ, in my opinion, who is Mikey Garcia. Now, the champion of, the, of boxing is Canelo Alvarez. That's still the number one cash cow. How do we propel Errol, who potentially has the fight style and enough interest to that level, but just doesn't have the 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 put butts in seat power and pay-per-view power behind them, but plenty the style. You got to match him up against Alvarez, but to get him against Alvarez, I think that Mikey fight needs to happen. And then you got this big melee of, of demographic with uh, a Mexican fan base that's like, you know, Canelo's our guy, but man, it'll be the same thing as Canelo versus Triple G. Ha ha, ha 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 ha. You see this sentiment with Canelo and Golovkin? It's like a torn fan base, you know? And you'd have that same same thing, interesting, interestingly enough, with a black fighter and a Mexican fighter because Spence would have that much likability. And then all the black fans are coming, any fight fans are coming along. So the potential pay-per-view for that fight could be more than Gennady Golovkin Alvarez. You ask me, that fight does two million in a year from now. Year and a half after a Garcia fight. Spence Canelo. And that that to me, guys, is my whole conspiracy that I had two weeks ago on the boxing voice. I said there is no logical reason for Garcia to fight. It's just none. I, I, I don't get it. I don't believe that he's this fucking gladiator mentality guy. This is a guy who took time out of boxing to secure a career, you know, a, get an education or whatever it was. So this is not like some fighting gladiator dude. This guy's a businessman. He, op- he operates strategically and calculated. So this, well, I'm just going to go for it, guys. That's the sale. Okay. But what he's really doing is getting a big, stupid pay-per-view money 
and then still having the other big stupid pay-per-view in the bag. That's what he's really doing. And that one being in the bag being Lomachenko. And he loses nothing. Unless he gets knocked out by one punch by Spence. But other than that, this could be all worked out where Spence just kind of start to lay it on him. And when it gets a little bad and we can see it ending soon, Cal. You know, unfortunately for Brooke, his orbital bone broke. And that's what kind of, you know, fucked up their plans. But that, 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 that towel came pretty quickly. So let's not get it twisted, man. But that is my, was my conspiracy theory. Was it thought of to be a bit far-fetched at the time? But we've seen, now we have Oscar De La Hoya on board saying he would love to make that fight happen. That is the fight, guys. To be honest with you, that's the fight that gets you your $2 million. It's not Crawford Spence. It's not going to be Gennady and Canelo because that's just one demographic. You understand? That, that, that Gennady versus Canelo thought of as a giant. Fight. It's not going to do that. That two million that everyone you know thought it could be that mega type fight. It's not. You know why? Because it's almost splitting a demographic. It's basically hardcores and Mexican fans who are buying this for the most part. And, and then the 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 Euro side of things are you know you could slash white that Gennady could bring, but that's not a large buyer demographic if you ask me. You know, but um, I think Spence will bring all those people in more, especially pay-per-view. And then it'll be a bit of a sexier event. And I think that's your two million. And I think that's what we're working towards. Uh, yeah, that's my conspiracy, man. But uh, on to my other thing. You know, I, I haven't had a chance now being an L.A. native, born and raised in Long Beach, as, as many of you know. But uh, living in L.A. for the past you know, 12, 12 to 15 years, whatever it be now. Give me a second, guys. Let me take a drink. Being in L.A., as many of you know, um, big developments if you're a Laker fan, which every person in L.A. is. It's almost blasphemous not to be if you live in Los Angeles, not to be a Laker fan. But um, LeBron's here. Yeah, LeBron has landed, and, and and that's 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 big, you know. And what I've come to find out is that it's it's interesting, you know, landing a a mid tenured or even a guy on the back end of his career that you've seen going to war for other towns coming to your your franchise at this point of his career. And, you know, I'll go through my progressions of of kind of how I felt about going through all this LeBron talking before he came and when he could potentially come. I'm going to kind of take you through my emotional progression or quest, excuse me, with LeBron coming to L.A., man. Initially, I didn't want him to come, you know. Uh, I think now that I think back about it, it's a it's a combination of, me kind of liking our young nucleus, and at the time, our, the talks were everybody had to go. We're talking Randall, we're talking Ingram, we're talking Kuzma. I even heard Ball on the market at some point, Ball in some talks. And 
So it's that. I liked it, our young guys, and I said, man, let's, let's just build. Let, let's see what we can do from the draft here. If everybody is going off, uh, want to be a, the copycat league and we're copying Golden State, well, it's obvious that Golden State built from the draft from the get. Every one of those guys, whether it's Draymond, whether it's Steph, or whether it's Clay, they all came from the draft. And these are guys that weren't projected as big draft picks, weren't projected one. These are guys that a lot of people passed on. One thing I want you to understand, Clay Thompson went to Pepperdine, okay? That's not a school known for fucking basketball. If Clay, if Clay Thompson, as good a player as he is, can end up at a place like Pepperdine, Steph Curry, as good as he is, end up at a private school, Davidson in North Carolina and Draymond Green going to a bigger school in Michigan State. But this was a guy, you know, people were saying was too fat, you know, would would kind of be a Rudy, so to speak, in the league, and has found a place for himself and has, uh, many could argue, kind of recreated the, the shit, the, how the game's played to some. Draymond Green can be a, a tr- attributed to being the guy who's kind of changing how teams have to play. Singularly, Draymond it's a guy who you can who you can point to and say this guy's making teams play different because he can fucking rebound, he can play defense with the big men, and he can run the floor, pass, shoot, jump, and do all the other skilled things like a small man. And that's making teams have to change how they're playing. And that can be arguably attributed to Draymond Green, uh, uh, under uh, understated player on that team. He gets his due, but you know. People aren't going to miss until he's really gone. You're not going to be able to see Draymond's impact until he's really gone. But, uh, yeah, man, I'll, I'll just say this. Let me see here. Just a second. Never mind. I don't want to do that. But, um, yeah, so it was that combination of things. That combination of things. I wanted to let our nucleus build. I liked what we had. I didn't want to get everybody. And the other nuance to that thought was I didn't want the expectations. With LeBron comes expectation, no matter where he goes. Now, be it our team as young is just going to be an addition of LeBron. But just LeBron arriving is going to put an incredible amount of pressure on these guys that they haven't had to endure. And they wouldn't have to have endured. They'd have been allotted the space just to simply perform and grow and win uh, eight more games this year and, and crack the eighth spot the year after and then crack the semis the year after and then potentially by the time Ball's in his fourth, fifth year, you're playing in the finals, in the, the conference finals, and, you know, kind of the Jordan progression, if you will. You know, that's one thing we forget. Michael had all the time in the world to get every bump and bruise and every learning experience there was. You know, Kobe came into kind of a a situation where it was like a win-now situation. That's what happens when you're in L.A. and you're under the the Hollywood sign and you're under the spotlight. You don't get that time to grow. It's now. And I wanted a chance to see somebody grow, man. And I felt we had the young team. I felt like our young talent was as good as anybody's, maybe not Philadelphia. But uh, I was excited about it. I'm excited about Ingram. I'm excited about Kuzma. I'm excited about Ball. I was excited about Randall, who I hate that we had to let go. So those combinations of things. So initially, 
didn't want them to come because the, the, the expectation that would come. And I wanted to not have to get rid of our guys. Uh, another part of that thing is like, ah, and with this conversation, you got to be honest with yourself, man, because it, 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 it almost opens up a lot of insecurities and vulnerabilities about yourself to some degree, right? Like how I had to say, I didn't want the expectation. So that could imply, oh, you're okay with losing. Eh, I didn't want to, that's not exactly what I wanted to be saying, but in other, in a lot of words, that is a part of it. I wanted to be okay. I didn't want expectation, right? So this is something about myself. I had to kind of be okay with to actually say, I had to kind of like, man, uh, damn, you don't really want to say that, do you? Uh, another part of this is another kind of vulnerable part is Braun comes with a legacy already. Unlike a lot of players we had in the past, very unlike a, uh, some of our legendary, whether it be draft picks or um, free agents, most importantly, like Shaq, free agent, uh, Wilt, a free agent, um, even Kareem coming through trade or free agency. These weren't guys that were the birth as Lakers. However, their legacies were built as Lakers, whereas LeBron's, it won't be. It can only be in his legacy is already solidified. We're already talking about is he greater than Michael, and he hasn't played a Laker game yet. So his legacy is already solidified. That said, here's the vulnerable part of it. He won't ever be ours. You know, now maybe if LeBron goes on to win some unforeseeable amount of championships as a Laker, I couldn't imagine imagine LeBron winning two, let alone three. Never four, you know. But let's uh, let's just hypothetically say in some perfect Laker universe that LeBron somehow pulls off three uh, three titles here. Then we could possibly argue that LeBron could that final resting spot for his jersey will be in Staples Center. At this point, it's clearly going to be Cleveland. Uh, you know, if you ask me, and and that's unsettling for us selfish Laker fans. And that's why you see all these guys out here, you know, painting over pictures of LeBron because he's not going to be ours. Kobe's ours. You know what I mean? For the new generation, for the prior generation, for the guys in LA who are 50, you know, 50 years old to 60, 70 years old, magic is theirs. You know, magic is theirs. 40, the guys who are, let's say 42 to 60 to 70 years old. Magic is their guy. That's who that's who they they birthed. That's who was born into their Laker watching and more paying attention years as a Laker fan. And they had this was the young guy that was the prospect and took him over the hump. Uh for people like myself who are about 35, 36, you know, and I'd say I'd, I'd take this down to even people around 25 through Kobe's ours. You know, Kobe's the guy who came in and, you know, was around your age or and you grew with him. And you've seen him go through the progressions and you've seen him become a champion. You've seen his ups, you've seen his downs. And he repped the city well. You know, and there's an emotional attachment there. 
You just have to acknowledge it. And LeBron, I think many people just don't want to come to grips with a guy who's not theirs. This is a this is a king. This is the king, but he's not our king. He's from another land. So it's like having a a a, a, a general that you've seen go go to war many times, great wars has endured great battles. You respect him from afar. You know he's a great. But that don't mean you want him to come lead your army because you're feeling like, well, man, how many more battles do you got left with you? You know, we, we don't want an old king. We want a prince. That's what every kingdom wants. Nobody wants a brand new old king. You want a young thriving king on the cusp of becoming a king that's what you want that's what excites you that's what you attach to but LeBron the returning old battle worn king he's ours now and uh if you're a Laker fan man I feel like you just as just as being a Laker fan you just gotta you gotta ride with it you know the team has definitely take a, taken a different shape. We can look at the team. You know, you, we still got Lonzo. Uh, a new pickup we got. You know, we got a bit of a motley crew, right? Uh, we got these kind of guys that have allegedly been hard to coach, have allegedly had drug problems outside, or have seemingly been aloof. You know, guys who have been have projected high skill levels but just haven't been able to put it together, whether it be mentally or physically on the court in their careers. Few of them of note, Michael Beasley, highly noted Kansas State prospect coming out of college. I remember Michael Beasley. Baller, man. Always been known to put the ball in the bucket. Always, still to this day. Uh, Kind of a Swiss Army knife, so to speak. Can rebound the ball, can defend, can shoot, can uh, create his own shot, can pass has every intangible to be a a really good addition to any team, but just hasn't seemed to be able to put it together. Um, Another one of those guys. Uh, Now, we still got Luol Ding on the roster. Now, Luol has a bunch of money tied up in him, and there's this back and forth whether the Lakers are even going to let him play or not because he, from what I understand, he's holding his player right to basically say, hey, you guys got to pay me this goddamn money, this 20-something plus million dollars a year for a guy who's probably not good enough to crack, definitely crack a starting lineup, possibly even a spot on the roster. Um, Another guy we picked up, JaVale McGee, a kind of guy who was always thought to just not be able to put it together mentally, having those mental lapses, um, shacked in a fool most notably, Shaq has kind of made a, a whole running spoof off of JaVale, unfairly in my estimation. But uh, JaVale's reputation kind of revamped being in Golden State, and kudos to Golden State staff. You know, they really, uh, in my eyes, turned JaVale into a legitimate big man in the league. And to be honest with you, um, a value add as far as a big man, a big versatile guy who's going to defend the rim, uh, going to put every ball you know that comes near him, he's going to put it away, he's going to stuff it, he's going to play defense, he's going to block shots, he's very versatile, he's able to move on the perimeter. 
So a lot of things to like about JaVale McGee. Uh, in my estimation, uh, a, a player on the cusp <clears throat> of becoming a really good player, a value add. Um, Gary Payton, a third. Now, here's a player I don't know a lot about. Uh, I'm inclined to believe that's Gary Payton, famously uh, Seattle Supersonic, ex-Laker, Miami Heat, and a plethora of other teams, but <clears throat> leads me to believe his it's Gary's son, Gary Payton, the second to be to be exact. Uh, Rajon Rondo, another one of those Motley Crew additions. Hold on. Another one of those Motley Crew additions, Rajon Rondo. A guy who's been kind of known to be difficult to coach. A guy who's definitely been allegedly known. Like, I don't know none of these things. And I'm not in trust of the media enough to project the proper image of a person. Now, I know that Rajon is probably combative. Is he combative rightfully so or not? I don't know that. You know, I, I'm I'm inclined to go with a guy speaking the truth even when people don't want to hear it. And Rajon can be one of those people. I don't know. I know he did. Uh, there was nothing heard, you know, against with the uh, Alvin Gentry's team last year in the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, Rajon revamped his career, kind of another one of these revamp stories from this Motley Crue cast of players the Lakers have bought in. JaVale McGee, Rajon Rondo, uh, both these guys last year kind of revamped their image of how their career was projecting and the trajectory of their career. They both seem to be on their way out the league at some point in time. And now with, you know, a year of a repaired image, so to speak, they find themselves on the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James under the general management of Magic Johnson. That's another nuance to this whole ball of wax. <clears throat> you know, for some reason here now, guys, I don't want to get twisted up and people think that I'm not a big-time Laker fan because I love the Lakers and always have. Magic probably my ugh, second to third favorite player all time. I was born in 81, seen Magic hit the hook shot, me and my dad sitting in the sitting in the living room in 87. So that's how long I know I've been watching Lakers. I've seen it, 87, so I'm six years old. On with the uh, on with the on with. Um, magic, seems to be a lot of trust in Magic. Now look here, man. I'm sure this same sentiment was out when Magic was about to become a coach of the Lakers. How'd that go? Yeah, not well. Magic's fucking giant smile, the big ass teeth, and just this charm that he seems to have seems to make people just fully entrust and believe in him. Now, I'm not saying Magic's not going to do a good job, but I just, I will say that I have no reason to believe that Magic's going to do a great job. I just don't have a reason to believe it. You know, this willing and dealing and Magic's ability to get people to do this and that, I don't know how much that has to do with structuring a team properly and abiding by budget rules, you know, the the, the roster and, you know, how much money we have in salary space. I, I don't know if that are those are those intangibles, are those skills synonymous with one another. I think they're not. I think they're different skills altogether. And I don't know 
if Magic is that guy. I'm not saying that he's not. I hope that he is. But just this overwhelming consent to Magic being the guy that's just going to bring the Lakers back to glory, I don't know why we have reason to believe that. I remain on the fence. However, back to this Motley crew. Lance Stevenson, another. So now you got Lance, Rajon, JaVale. Adding to these combative seeming, these guys who just can't get rights. These are can't get rights, y'all. You know, just just can't get right. You know you got it all, but something about you, you just can't get right, man. It's always some shit with you. And I hate people like that. You know, I like people like, you know, it's good. Everything's smooth selling. There's no rocks. There's no waves along the way. We don't need to be having any confrontations. But, you know, I got a kid that always in some kind of little shit. And it's like, damn, I don't know whether to call you bad, but your damn show ain't good because it's always some little shit with you. And that's the the kind of guys, it seems, Lance Stevenson and Ray John Rondo and JaVale McGee, to a lesser degree, are. Just always some shit going on. Always something, you know. Just play fucking ball and don't make me pay special attention to you. This whole Montley crew, uh, this cast, you know, and this is who we're going to have to work with. We got the youngsters. There's another good player I, I took uh, uh, notice of during the the summer league, and that's uh, his name is Mortz Wagner. This is a big forward, big white kid. Looks like a, a player to me. However, it's the summer league, and I don't know how that translates all the time. But nonetheless, looks like a player to me. So Michael Beasley, JaVale, Rajon, and Lance Stevenson. You know, let's see, is, is Magic a genius? Or is he just a fool with a big smile? We'll definitely find out because he got some guys who, if they are successful and become, oh man, if they're successful and become successes on this team, we're going to say Magic's a genius. But if they get out there, they look terrible and uncoachable, and guys are not on the same page, which is very likely with this type of temperamented players, then Magic is just going to be a fool with a big smile. Okay? But yeah, man, that's kind of my thing. But I do have a story to tell. And it's interesting, man, because, you know, if you're a Laker fan, I feel like you should just whether like I didn't like how this I, I would have rather the Lakers just pick up some kind of free agent, add to this young team, don't get these expectations that come with LeBron and yada yada yada. But end of the day, if you're a Laker fan, you gotta you you just gotta ride with the team and be happy. And at the end of the day, yeah, we got the best player in the world. How much how much longer does he have to be the best player in the world? Not long. But at the moment, August 14th, 2018, LeBron is still the best player in the world on this day. How much longer? Not long. Not long. And that's, I think, that's the part. That's the bittersweet. But have a story to tell. A friend of mine came to me and said, hey, hey, Jay, I got this way that I can get us 20 authentic LeBron Laker jerseys, any color, any size, for 300 bucks. 
I'm like, wow, that's pretty pretty awesome. 20 of them for 300 bucks? And he says, look, if we sell these things, which, which retail for about 120 for $60, which anybody should cop, we make $1,200 for a $300 investment. Now, look, I, I never, ever go out and say I'm a hustler. Matter of fact, hustling's not my thing. Give me a nine to five. Let me, let me work. Let me go to work, be responsible, and get a paycheck. That's me. That's my comfort zone. However, if opportunity presents itself, I'm not a fool. You got to be a fool to not answer a door when opportunity's knocking. So, yeah, I, I, I say, well, that sounds good. And, man, it seems like these will sell themselves to some degree. I'm not with all the, hey, hey, guys, you want to buy this? You want to, you know, hey, I feel like I could go to a few places and people will buy these at basically half price. Beautifully stitched Nike swingman jerseys. LeBron, you want the black one, the purple one, the gold one, the white one? We got it. Any size. So we make the order. 300 bucks. Basically 150 from both of us. I'll make 600 bucks. See how it goes. No no big deal here, right? 150. Jerseys come. So I'm like, okay, here's where I'm going to go. Now I live in kind of central to mid Los Angeles. Uh, Very uh, black neighborhood, black area. Um, Good thing about a black area like this, there's a lot of kind of people just selling stuff on the street. Random things, T-shirts, socks, uh, you know, used to be CDs, but it's not anymore, whatever it be. But so on this main strip between from Stocker to about 48th Street on Crenshaw, there's a bunch of barber shops where everybody goes and pays 25 to $30 for a haircut. So a lot of people kind of hang out at these places, as in most barbershops, a lot of sports talk. Of course, and it's going to be a lot of people knowing about LeBron and yada, yada, yada. I'm thinking this strip of maybe about four to five barbershops where you got a bunch of guys hanging is a great place for me to go get off these jerseys, right? So here's my thing. I go, I go over there. I got the jerseys. They're in a bag. They're authentic. They're sold on. They're beautiful. Um. I come back, I go over there, and to my surprise, I'm like, hey, guys, I got those, I got the authentic LeBron jerseys, you know, I'm showing people, and to my surprise, it's like people hitting me with a frown. One guy said, oh, yeah, I ain't, I ain't really into them like that. Other dudes was like, oh, no, nah, I'm good, man. You know, I, I hit the next barber shop. Hey, y'all, I got, I got them authentic LeBrons. Sold on, man. They're going for the low. What you got? 50. I'll take it. Whatever. They're going for the low. Uh, oh, nah, man. I'm, I ain't even into them. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I go to the next. Kind of the same thing. Everybody kind of like, nah, they good. They good. I say to my boy, like, if I didn't know no better, it's like a hate for LeBron out here which I just didn't understand if I didn't know no better. It's like a low-key hate for Braun. But uh, I was surprised to see it, man. And, um, you know, I tried a few more times. I'd end up not selling any jerseys. And my the what I walked away with is like, 
you know, cats ain't feeling the arrival of the king, LeBron James. And I was surprised to know that. I don't know what it is, but I was very surprised that people was just almost like, almost frowning for for the offer to sell. You know, like they, they didn't like him. They don't like him. You know, it wasn't that they weren't the price. Or it was just like no to him. And that I was surprised about. And that's my LeBron story of trying to get my hustle on. Uh, before I go, though, man, I, I, I want to talk about a little baseball. And, and I'll make this quick because it's getting hot. I grew up a kid playing baseball. Uh, loved baseball. You know, if you've played baseball, you love the smell of the field. It just relaxes you going out to the ballpark and seeing that green. You know, uh, however, it's, 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 as a kid, I used to watch entire games, first pitch to the last. Now, I don't, I, I've, it's been years since I've watched three innings straight. Even World Series, which was great here in Los Angeles last year. Well, then I probably did watch some innings. But um, baseball has lost a lot of its luster and is on cusp of once by far the number one sport viewership-wise in the United States, now projected to become number three behind number one projected NBA, surprisingly, right? Two, NFL, and three, baseball. Uh, Why, 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 you ask? Why I ask? I always ask why. Uh, It's because baseball just won't let go of the past, and it's too uniformed in my estimation, and it's gotten worse as as we've come into today's time. Uh, But I think, and the reason I'm making delivering this message is I think they've gotten the message and are going back to their old ways. When I was a kid in the 90s, late 80s, you know, the coolest thing, the coolest thing for every kid in the mid-90s was to turn that fucking hat backwards and try to bat like Ken Griffey Jr. Ken was just, he had an earring, he had a few little chains, and he had his hat backwards. And you know what that said to us? Fun. He looked at fun. And they're starting to let fun back in the game now. I think you got this Bryce Harper movement, you know, and letting fun back. When the Yankees were winning all those World Series, everybody had a fucking low military cut and nobody had on any jewelry, no personal flair. They were uniformed. You know, let's have some fun back in baseball, man. When I loved baseball, baseball had guys had their own shoe. The Ken Griffey, I think Albert Bell had a shoe. You know, Roberto Alomar, those guys had flair. They had gold chains. Dudes had jerry curls. Dudes would pump their chests. Ricky Henderson was had flair. You know, the game was about flair and style. But now the game's gotten too uniformed. But I think baseball is letting some of the personality back into the sport. Um, like it or not, hip-hop is the wave. You know, you go out to a Dodger game, they playing more fucking Tupac and Dr. Dre and California type music than you than you can think of. They're doing the same at Rams games and NBA games. We know the NBA embraces embraces its image and really pumps the hip hop shit and embraces the individuality of the players, which baseball has to do. Um, it's a shame that Mike Trout, my friend Jonathan, we often talk about. Uh, the great how great Mike Trout is 
and Mike Trout can walk in the ball and no one know who he is. It's a travesty. You know, Mike Trout going to the Hall of Fame may even crack the top five, top ten. Who knows how uh, close to the all-time great Mike Trout will get. But Mike Trout is a guy that could walk by you and you wouldn't know who he is. And that's a complete failure on the behalf of baseball. Uh, My friend argues, hey, he just doesn't have the personality for it. I say there's people who are paid quite handsomely that work for shoe companies and commercials and these uh, who, who are the people who, who are paid to make you marketable. You know, one of the best commercial series of commercials back in the day was um, the Penny Hardaway thing. Now, if you know anything about Penny Hardaway, Anthony Hardaway, he doesn't got some personality that jumps off the screen. So you know what they did? They made him a little talking doll, little Penny. To make it, to make it, you know what that was? That was somebody who brilliant, brilliantly strategized on how do we make this guy a thing? How do we, how do we make money off of him? And that's how you do it. It doesn't have to be the guy just smiling and talking and being charismatic on camera. There's plenty of ways to do it. The whole Bo Nose series. It wasn't Bo doing a damn thing other than getting in different costumes and saying Bo knows this and Bo knows that. Just marketing, man. It, it's, it doesn't take a rocket science. Mike Trout could be marketed as good as anybody. And you tell me when being white, blue-eyed, and fucking uh, amazing athlete doesn't work, okay? I don't want to hear that bullshit. So it's a fail. It's an F on the behalf of baseball for not doing better with these type of stars. And it's the reason they are losing viewers. Their average viewer is 56 years old. That's what you don't want because that guy has a lot of shit to do in the morning and he's going to bed by nine o'clock. And that ladies and gentlemen is a heavy handed addition. Uh, I'll be back though, man, relatively black and fat podcast. This is a heavy handed addition. I'm your man, Heavy Handed J. Fuck with your boy.